The internet has changed the way we live. People go online to learn about almost everything these days. We go online to learn how to cook. We go online to learn how to drive. We go online to learn how to iron our shirt. We go to line, online to, to, to learn how to make coffee. We go online to learn how to date a girl and how, how to say no to a boy. Everything is online. Everything. Kids learn from Google more than they learn from their teachers. Employees rely on YouTube training more than their employers. Church members listen to sermons online more than their pastors. I was asking one of our pastors this week uh, to do something. I was giving, giving her a task. And, and, and instead of asking me how to do it, she said, oh, I, I will Google that. I will Google that. Because people have found Google as a source of all information. Almost everything is on Google. We are living in the information era. Information travels fast and further in our generation. We know too much. We hear too much. We see too much. But does it make us better people? Can we say that we are better people than those who lived in the 70s? Are we better people than those who lived 100 years ago? Are we better than them? Knowing does not make your life better unless you apply the knowledge. Knowledge is not what makes your life better. It is the application of knowledge. Knowledge is not power unless it's applied. So instead of saying knowledge is power, I would rather say the application of knowledge is power. So in the last four sessions, we talked about prayer. We defined prayer. We looked at who should pray, where should prayer take place, why should we pray, and when to pray. All that information is meaningless unless you apply it. So we can talk about prayer, we can sing about prayer, we can preach about prayer, we can dream about prayer and write about prayer until we pray is meaningless. Talking about it does not change anything until we do it. So to help you apply what we have learned so far, we are going to talk about how to pray. It doesn't matter if you read a lot about it, you hear a lot about it, go on YouTube and Google prayer, 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 teaching. Even if you listen to 100 more sermons after this one, it's not going to help you unless you do pray. So to, today you're going to talk about how to pray so that when you leave this room, you go and pray and start praying. Today, we want you to know how to put our knowledge about prayer into practice. After listening to me today, my prayer is that your life will never be the same again. You will stop wasting your time. You will stop using your time. And you will start investing your time. Those who were here last week, you remember what I said. Fools waste their time. Smart people use their time and wise people invest it. 
wise people invest their time. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Most Christians ask themselves the same question. How to pray effectively? How long should I pray? How loud or how silent should my prayer be? Which position is spiritual enough? Which words should I use before God? How to pray effectively? If you are a reasonable Christian, I know you've asked yourself that kind of question or those kind of questions. How to pray? And to answer the question, Jesus taught them in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 to 13. Let's read that. When you pray, don't babble like idolaters, since they imagine they be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Then he continued later and said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 7, Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. These three verbs frame answers that Jesus gave to his disciples. Ask, seek, and knock. We are going to look at those three verbs what does it mean to ask? What does it mean to seek? And what does it mean to knock? Let's start with ask. Jesus taught us how not to ask before he taught us how to ask. When the disciples ask him how to pray, he starts by telling them how not to pray. So he started by saying in Matthew chapter 6 verse 7, when you pray, don't. That is what not to do, isn't it? Don't do this when you pray. Then later he said, do this when you pray. So let, let's look at the don't. Don't babble like idolaters. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Oh, we should not babble like idolaters. Okay, why? Because idolaters... Prayer was made of formal invocations and magical incantations in which the correct repetition counted rather than the worshipper's attitude. It is the word you say that mattered more than your attitude or your intention. The attitude of your heart matters to God more than the words that you say, you speak. In our prayer to God, the attitude of our heart matters more than the words we say. God knows what we need already. He does. He knows it. He just wants to see if we'll choose to talk to him about those things. How you say it is not the issue. But why you say it is the issue before God. How to pray is not the priority to God, but why you pray is. 
It is important to know how to pray. But for God, why you come to him matters. More than how you come to him. God does not want us to approach him as if we are approaching a magician. Just a magician for a quick fix. You know why people go to a magician? Two reasons. One, because we want entertainment. We just want him to do it and see how if he can do it. The second reason is we go to magicians. Oh, I don't. People do. People watch magicians. The second thing people go to a magician is to get a quick fix. I have this problem. Can you turn it like this? God doesn't want that from us. God doesn't want to go to him so that he can perform a miracle for us to be entertained or to fix a a problem quickly for us. God wants relationship. So prayer is not just for miracles to happen. It's for a relationship, to build a relationship with God. He wants us to commune with him. So Jesus is not against repeating words in our prayers. God is, God is not against repeating words. And I've heard so many people arguing about that. Oh God, Jesus said, do not repeat your words. So just say one thing once. I do repeat my words in prayer so many times. Why? Because Jesus repeated himself. Many times in his prayers. Look at this. Matthew chapter 26 verse 44. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Jesus repeated himself in prayer. He was not teaching them not to repeat their words. He was teaching them not to depend on what they say. That's what they do, the magicians. They repeat words, they say things, they say things, they say things, they say things and they think by saying those right words, They can make their God or the Spirit to respond. And Jesus was telling them, don't do that. Don't come to God thinking the right word will will produce result. It's not about the right word. It's it's about the right attitude. And it's not saying we should not pray right. He just says, the right word is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something real. Come as as real as you are. So Jesus is looking for simple prayers, real prayers, when we go to him. We should talk to God without fear of getting it wrong. Talk to God without fear. The relationship is more important than getting the words right. Just ask. Go before God and ask. Jesus taught us to ask because asking reflects at least three things. Stay with me. The first one. The act of asking is relational. God is interested in a relationship with us. That's why he doesn't just give us stuff. He wants relationship. He wants you to understand him as the source and not a resource. Asking is relational. Asking acknowledges the presence and the ability of the supplier. God wants us to ask because he knows by asking we acknowledge his presence. By asking we acknowledge his power. By asking we acknowledge he's there for us. Asking is relational. You would not ask someone if you did not think they could deliver. Asking is important to us because it proves our faith in God. The second thing, secondly, asking is vulnerable. 
To make a request is to admit a need. When I asked my wife to marry me, she told me to wait. She kept me waiting for more than a week. I will never forget that. It was not an easy wait. It was not an easy season for me. Why? I was vulnerable. I was vulnerable. And she played with my vulnerability. It took more than a week waiting for this girl to say yes. Finally, I got the answer. One day, after sleepless nights of vulnerability, but it was not easy. Why? Because asking is vulnerable. When you ask, you admit you need. When you ask, you admit you can't do it alone. When you ask, you admit that the other person is needed. God wants us to acknowledge that we cannot do it on our own. God wants us to understand that he is the source of everything. Some people are too proud to ask. You know that person can help you and you are like, no, I'm not asking them. What do they think about me? Just ask, my friend. You are lost. Admit that you are lost. Just ask. Ask for direction. Don't be proud. Just ask. It's okay to ask. Asking is vulnerable. Thirdly, asking is a choice. God respects our will. Most of the time, God waits until we give him our consent to intervene. That's why we should ask him. Asking gives the other party permission or consent to intervene. So God knows that he should respect our choice. And asking is vulnerable. And asking is relational. That's why Jesus taught us to ask. It is relational. He wants a relationship with us. It is vulnerable. He wants us to deal with our pride. And it's a choice. He wants us to choose him. He wants us to go to him and ask. The second dimension of prayer is to seek. What we call the Lord's Prayer is made of six petitions. I may call it even the disciples' prayer because Jesus can never pray that prayer. Do you know Jesus can never pray that prayer? You know why? In that prayer, he says, forgive us our, our, our sins. God, Jesus has no sin to repent for. That was not a prayer for Jesus. It's not the Lord's Prayer. That is the disciples' prayer. So let's go back to the prayer. It says, therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, that's one. Your kingdom come, that two. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven, that's three. Three petitions for God and three petitions for us. That's how it's divided. In six petitions, three by three. Jesus wanted to teach us that the right prayer begins with God in mind. The right prayer honors God, the right prayer brings his kingdom to earth, and the right prayer calls for his will to be done. So, what was Jesus teaching his disciples to seek? What are we supposed to be seeking? Oh, it's obvious that he was not teaching them to seek healing. He was not teaching them to seek blessings. He was not asking them to seek miracles. All these things are from God, but he did not teach us to seek after them. There is no place in the Bible that Jesus taught his disciples to seek for things, for stuff. We must seek after God, and then everything else 
will flow from him. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Isaiah 55 verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search me for me with all your heart. It's all about seeking God first. We are not supposed to seek after the blessing of God. If you seek after the blessings, you lose God. If you seek after God, you find the blessings. Seeking after God will bring about the blessings. Seeking after the blessings will lose God in the process. That's why the why is important than the how. There are two reasons why we may be seeking after someone. One, maybe the person is hiding or the person is hidden. So the question will be, is God hiding or hidden in your life? Is God hiding or is he hidden? We, can't be, we are encouraged to seek after him. Is he hidden? We are encouraged to seek after him. Is he hiding? My answer will be both. Why? In Isaiah 55, 45 verse 15, it says, Yes, you are a God who hides himself. God of Israel, Savior. He's hiding. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah acknowledged that God was hiding. But in the New Testament, God revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 17. He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers of all authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. Jesus Christ has been revealed as God on earth. God He's no longer hiding. Has been revealed to us. So let me explain this. God is objectively invisible. We can't see him with our visible, our, our natural eyes. And God has revealed himself. He came through Jesus Christ and we, we saw him. Humanity saw Jesus Christ. The reason for that is because the objective revelation of God would not change humanity. Adam and Eve enjoyed an objective revelation of God. They knew God was there. They could see. They could see the power of God. They could see him. They could hear him. It did not stop them from turning against him. Some people say, if God could just reveal himself and just be there somewhere in the sky and everybody could see him, everybody can believe in him. No, it's not true. Adam and Eve could not stop from sinning despite enjoying the direct objective presence of God. It did not change anything. Even if God reveals himself there, not everybody will still believe in him like that. Their disobedience created two responses. They chose to hide from God. You remember the story. And God became hidden to them. Since then, we try to hide from God, and God has become hidden to us. Since the sin of Adam and Eve. 
due to all the barriers we have built between us and him, God is hidden. We can't see him because we have created barriers between us and him. He did not leave us. We left him. And we are still ignoring him today. We left God. He did not leave us. Another reason we cannot see God is that an objective knowledge will lead to a spectator's knowledge of God. We will know he's there, but he has nothing to do with us. Just like everyone would know that Queen Elizabeth is the queen. What does it change? Knowing that the Queen Elizabeth is the queen. We know where she lives, but we don't have any relationship with her. That's the issue of the objective knowledge of God. People would still see him, but without a relationship with him. And that's the problem. If God reveals himself objectively, it will not solve the problem. I know the queen. Yes, I know her. I know her face. I know the queen. If you show me the queen, I will tell you this is the queen. She doesn't know me. We don't have a relationship, but I know her. That's how many people would be with God if God was objectively revealed in the sky. They will know him with their mind. They will just know he's there, but who cares? We know he is there, but he has nothing to do with me. God is hiding to prevent us from finding him on our own terms. Instead, he invites all people to come out from their hiding places to seek him in the person of Jesus. We must seek him. So what is blocking us from finding God? What is blocking you from finding God? Three things. One, we fail to seek God, to seek God because of busyness. We are too busy to seek God. Secondly, laziness. And thirdly, carelessness. Let me be honest with you, church. Most reasonable people are just too busy to find time to seek God. Good people. They have good reasons to stay home on Sunday. They have good reasons not to attend a connect group. They have good reasons not to pray. They have good reasons not to open their Bibles. They have good reasons. And you know what? Those reasons will not go away by wishing they would. They are not going away. You have to remove whatever barrier is standing between you and God and seek him. Your job will stay your job until you decide to organize your time to seek God and keep the job. Your children will remain your children until you find a time to organize your babies and seek God. Your life will remain your life until you organize yourself. Never complain. God, I can't find time to seek you. You are the problem. God is not the problem. All the blessings he's given to you, it's for you to manage. You have the responsibility to organize your life. Everything you have is a blessing. You work too much. You have too much responsibilities. It's a blessing. Manage it well. To see God. Don't complain because God gave you one more baby. God gave you a promotion at work. God gave you another. No, it's a blessing. Manage it well. Busyness has made us not to see God. He stood between us and God. And we give excuses and it becomes a barrier. I'm too tired to pray. I'm too tired to see God. I'm too tired to go to church. After a whole week of work, God will understand. You know, he won't. 
He won't understand you. Seek him. He will not understand you. For some, it's a matter of laziness. They feel like it's too much work to open the Bible. Waking up on Sunday morning after a long week of work seems to be too much. Staying awake for five more minutes of prayer before bed feels too long. You know, what, what is funny is people can watch episodes of TV shows for two good hours, three hours, five hours without any trouble. Everything is well. Their eyes are open. If they decide to pray for five minutes before bed, all the sleep on earth come upon them. When you are watching the game on TV, you are excited. And then it's time to go to bed. Lord, I thank you for you. What happened to you? Laziness. Let's call it for what it is. We are lazy to see God. For others, is carelessness. They say to themselves, I will pray tomorrow. Oh, it's okay even if I don't pray tonight, you know. I just don't care. You are so comfortable with life. We are just comfortable. And it's not okay, church. It's not okay to think that your life will still be okay even if you don't pray. Is carelessness. To think that your children will still be okay, your marriage will still be okay, your health will still be okay, and life will still be okay if you don't pray is carelessness. It is not okay. Because it won't be the same if you pray. The way we go through issues while praying is completely different from the way we go through issues while not praying. Carelessness. To seek after someone requires moving around or moving things around. You have to stand, you go around, you check what is here, is he here, he's not there, maybe he's this side, let me see if I can find him. No, he's not there. That is seeking. Seeking means moving around, trying to find God. Oh, move things around. You push stuff around. Is God here? He's not there. Where is God? Seeking God requires leaving your comfort zone. And go where God can be found. Sometimes it means waking up early, leaving your comfortable bed, and driving to church. I'm going to find God. Sometimes it means turning off your TV. Turn it off and seek God. Sometimes it means kneeling. Change your position. It means standing. It means laying on the floor in prayer. It means changing your position. You know what? Changing a position can make a big difference in prayer. Big difference in prayer. Sometimes you need to walk and pray. Sometimes you need to stand. If you feel asleep on your chair, why not stand? Why are you complaining about sleep? You know well, if you want to, to pray, you can just stand. And the sleep will go away. The right body position tells your mind to focus. Then your mind tells your spirit that something important is going on. Then your spirit speaks to God. Physical position in prayer makes a difference. If you haven't been moved, then you haven't been seeking. 
If nothing has moved you, if God hasn't moved you, if you haven't moved to go and find God, then, oh, just t- don't tell me you've been seeking God. You've been asking. You haven't been seeking. Because seeking requires moving or moving things around. What have you moved in your schedule to fit God in? What have you moved in your life to fit God in? Where have you gone to find God? It's too, I hear people saying, it's too cold to go to Connect Group. It's too cold to go to church. I'm so tired. You are, you are comfortable in your bed, in your couch, watching Netflix, and you think it is too much to stand and drive to church. If you still have excuses to pray, you can still skip you can still skip prayer or church service. You, know. you, you are not yet desperate. You are not yet desperate. I'm telling you, when you are desperate for a job, you make phone calls every day and you move everything around to fit in, interviews in, to fit appointments in. Why? Because you are desperate for a job. You are still giving excuses because God is not yet your last resort. You still have alternative. That's why you're still giving excuses to see God. When God is your last hope, you will move things around to find him. Those who are desperate for God will move and move things around to find him. If you are desperate for him. So the problem is not that you don't have time. The problem is you are not desperate. When you are really desperate and you believe God is your last hope, you move things around, you move your body to get where God can be found. People complain about positions in prayer. I have no problem with screaming, shouting, yelling, and doing whatever I can to find God. Yesterday I was, I was in the shower and I was trying to pray and I went, hey! And my wife came, what is happening? I was, I'm trying to pray. What's wrong with that? If that is the way I can bring my emotions together, I can bring my heart together and express myself and bring my body together to tell my heart, my heart speak to God now. Why not do it? You know, we've become too civil when it comes to seeking God. Too civil. Don't speak like that. Mm. Are you not ashamed? Why should I be ashamed? I'm in trouble. If God doesn't show up, I'm in trouble. So why do you want me to be ashamed? You know what? I know we have created groups. We have people who call themselves conservatives. They are civil. We have people who we call Pentecostal. They are crazy and loud. None of those groups are right or wrong. It's just how people feel they can approach God. So I have no problem if someone can yell and scream. As long as it's helping you to seek God, do it. Let your emotions seek God. Some people cry. Some people, some, some, people, some people shout. Some people, let your emotions also be involved when you are seeking God. There's nothing wrong with that. Move things around to find God. And after you have found him, Jesus taught us to knock. He said, after you've asked, you sought after me and found me, the last stage is to knock. Matthew 7, 7. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. 
You cannot knock unless you believe someone is inside. Knocking takes faith. Believing that someone inside and is he listening, is hearing me. So let me knock. Because the opening of the door does not depend on you. It's all about the person inside. The door will be opened by the person inside. And you trust that by knocking, they will open. That's why you knock. And Jesus said, knock. Because God will open. Keep knocking. Keep knocking and he will open. Which means there is only one thing between you and God. The door. One more prayer. One more sacrifice before your breakthrough. Don't stop now. Keep going because there is only one thing between you and the breakthrough. It's the door. Keep knocking. You are almost there. Don't stop because your breakthrough is just one more step away. It's one prayer away. It is one more service away. It's one more connect group away. It's one more Bible study away. Your breakthrough is almost there. And Jesus said this. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 5, he then taught them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. Why he gave the parable? Because he didn't want them to be discouraged. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect man. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow keeps posturing me, I will give her justice so she doesn't wear me out by her persistence, by her persistent coming. Persistence pays. We should keep knocking until the person inside gets annoyed by our presence at the door. Keep praying. Jesus taught us to keep praying until we see the door open. Do not stop knocking. Perseverance in prayer pays. He wanted to teach us perseverance. Don't stop praying. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Pray always. Don't let the hours, the weeks, the months, or the years of prayer without results discourage you. Your breakthrough is one more prayer away. Your answer is one more knock away. Your blessing is one more sacrifice away. There is no time limit to praying. When the Bible says pray earnestly, we don't know if it's one year or 20 years. We just know it's keeping praying. Pray, pray, and pray without ceasing. Pray because it changes us. Pray because it changes things and because it changes everything. We have many acronyms of prayer, uh, so many acronyms of prayer. But I thought, what is this in this scripture that I should take and give to the church to remember how to pray before we finish? And this word joy came to my spirit. I said, no, I will use this joy. Joy. Jesus, others, and you. Joy. Start your prayers with Jesus in mind. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Always start your prayer with God in mind. 
Prayer must begin with God in mind. Start with thanksgiving. Start with glorifying God. Start with praising God. Start with God. Start with acknowledging his presence. Start with acknowledging his will. You need him first. Address your prayers to God, our Father in heaven. Thank him for what he's done. Praise him for what he will do. And then, go to others. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's about us. It's about community. God values community. So I encourage you, before you go into your own request, think of others. Think of your relationship with others. Have you offended anyone that you need to repent? Is anybody, anybody, has anybody offended you that you need to forgive? Think of others in your prayers. Jesus, others, than you. When you get to you, present your request to God. And then he finished by giving glory to God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. When you finish your prayer, Give God the glory. Receive the answers by faith. Leave that place knowing that God has answered you.